0: The Science Basement. Hello, welcome to the new episode of season two of the Science Basement podcast.
1: Yeah, we're back from summer,
0: and it's actually been really hot, so it's been proper summer.
1: Yeah, and now it's over.
0: Yeah, well, it's still sunny.
1: Okay, <laughs> okay. Now we let's let's cut for this time our usual weather weather chat <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, to the and let's get into minutes. it. Yeah. And let's go straight to the guest.
0: So today our guest is university researcher David Weir. He's looking at gravitational waves from processes in the early universe from Department of Physics, University of Helsinki. So welcome, David. Hello. Yes,
1: welcome, David. And yeah, we have heard a lot about gravitational waves during the last year or couple of years. Can you give us an introduction about what they are?
2: Sure. Uh, I think the way people often think about gravitational waves is as uh, these ripples in space-time. So you think about waves on a pond, like the water waves on the surface of a pond when you cast a stone into it. uh, It's like that, but instead of the membrane in which the waves are propagating being the surface of the water, it's the fabric of space-time itself. Uh, That is kind of the, I think, the the way people often think about it. And to a broad extent, it's correct. I mean, they are Basically, the stretching and squeezing motions of, of space time, uh, and you know they're made by processes which involve uh, have a lot of energy or a lot of mass, uh, involving you know violent collisions of big objects like black holes or neutron stars in the galaxy today, or things which were very energetic in in the early universe a long time ago, which were so energetic that the the background of those gravitational waves is still felt felt these days as well. So yeah, they are. You know, they're, they're simple deformations of of, of space time, um, and you know, they're not, there's nothing particularly complicated about them. I mean, it really is just a simple propagating wave like light, and it, you know, it obeys the same wave equation as anything, anything, uh, any other waves like uh, uh, you know, any other electromagnetic, well, any electromagnetic radiation would. So, yeah. So they are
1: waves, but they are generated but by, by very massive bodies.
2: Or very energetic processes, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. I
2: mean, Einstein's uh, theory of relativity kind of says that you know it doesn't matter whether it's a lot of matter or you know things with a lot of
1: yeah. It, I mean, or right
2: energy, yeah. Yeah. So in general relativity, it's a single thing that it's this single stress energy thing. So whatever you know, the the two the two con- the concepts are kind of you know, blurred. Mm-hmm. So the processes can be either very energetic or very massive, or very massive and very energetic.
0: And the in- why we've been hearing about them more now, it's because from theory now they have been observed.
2: Hmm. So, yeah, they it was this 2014 direct detection uh, of gravitational waves by the two LIGO detectors, which has, I guess, made everyone really excited about them. Uh, I've been excited about them since before they were cool. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, they... It was really great, and and you know, couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, I you know, we people were kind of starting to you know, wonder if we would ever see anything, but of course, it was just a matter of time before the detectors got sensitive enough to see things. And it's not that it's not that we didn't have indirect evidence for gravitational waves beforehand. There's this whole Taylor pulsar, uh, which was observed 30 or 40 years ago, where the orbits of the two pulsars, the pair of them, going around each other and getting the orbit was getting smaller and smaller, uh, and as a result, the predictions of the energy being lost uh, due to that were exactly in line with the fact that they were emitting gra- all the lost energy as gravitational waves.
0: Uh, I have a question. You've been talking about the experiment that was carried out that showed the presence of a gravitational wave. Um, can you describe how this worked?
2: Yeah, it's basically an antenna, but rather than it being an antenna for electromagnetic waves like... You know, aerial in your car, or you know, a satellite dish for for receiving signals from a satellite, or or receiving uh, radio waves from uh, from, from uh, astrophysical sources. Instead, it's an antenna for gravitational waves, and yeah, the way it works is by it forms an interferometer instead of um, yeah, it's basically an interferometer. Uh, and the way this interferometer works is the it as a gravity gravitational wave comes down from. Like space, it will squeeze and stretch uh, the the uh, space time of the Earth around around the detector. So one one side of the interferometer will be squeezed and one will be stretched. And what happens inside this interferometer is the a laser is shining lights down both arms of the detector, uh, and the, is carefully tuned so that the distance along each of the detectors is. Exactly cancels out so there's a slight the, the, the phase the phase difference is such that the waves add up destructively, and so you see nothing uh, when the when the after the light is bounced down the two arms it comes back together again there's no laser light that comes out of the out of the detector but when the gravitational wave passes through one of these arms is squeezed slightly and one is stretched slightly, and you see light coming out of the detector because the the, the difference in length no longer is such that the waves destructively interfere, and you therefore you see something. Um, so this is basically basically what happens. They do various clever tricks to make it uh, more accurate and, and uh, more sensitive than you yeah. know the interferometers that we we play with as as undergraduate labs in our labs here. Um, but that's the basic idea: is that you're measuring the length of the relative length difference between two arms of a big vacuum tube. Uh, and when that when the arms change their apparent length slightly due to the gravitational wave passing through, uh, you can detect that.
0: So basically, from these two arms, you don't see anything because yeah, they're uh, subtracting each other. But at some point, this gravitational wave will be pushing in a way that they're no longer canceling each other. So you yeah. can see I was trying to say it in a really simple way, but I couldn't. <laughs>
2: So it's an, L- it's an L-shaped thing, uh, and the laser is split into two, laser beam is split into two, and the one arm, the light goes down and it bounces and comes back. It actually bounces lots of times, thousands, if not millions of times up and down the arm. But in, print, in the simplest example, it just bounces once. and the other arm has the same thing. And then when it comes back to the starting point again, the light the light is added together. And if it adds together to nothing, then the waves in each direction are exactly in phase. But if it adds together to give something, then they're slightly out of phase, or they're, they're, they're no longer completely out of phase. Uh, and if you see something which, where it's like uh, time dependent, so it's, some, it's turning on and off the light, you're seeing something uh, some of the time and not all the time, then you know some sort of signal passing through. So, you know, there's some 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 source of gravitational waves because the system is being squeezed and stretched
1: and yeah and, and gravitational waves were uh, detected by the LIGO mission uh, for the first time uh, as uh, a star merger if I remember correctly or something like that
2: the what? first case was a black hole merger uh, so it was two fairly big black holes a few tens of masses of the Sun and they they uh, they, you, we saw everything kind of running up to when they emerged, but what happened after they emerged, well they probably made they probably made another black hole but we can't see what happened afterwards because mm-hmm. the frequency of the gravitational waves is out of the range of LIGO mm-hmm. so, we had, so it has a like in the antenna it has a range of sensitivity uh, and we could see quite well what happened at the very end of their collision we couldn't see what was happening earlier on because they're kind of they're going around each other emitting. Uh, the gravitational waves are emitting is getting higher and higher in frequency, uh, and then immediately afterwards, they're a very high frequency, and then they kind of, there's this period of, of ring down or whatever, as the new black hole like settles down or whatever. Um, but that we can't see, because it's out of the frequency range of, of the LIGO detectors.
0: So basically, with these gravitational waves, it's a way for us to see things, uh, to be able to map things somehow in the universe. Is that...
2: Yeah, it's it's really great because uh, the gravitational waves don't uh, kind of interact very much on their way here. They're, it's very difficult to make them. But once you've made them, they're not going to go. They're not going away very easily. So as long as we're, we we can detect them, and as long as there's a process which makes them, we can be fairly confident that they've not been tampered with, shall we say, on their way to us. So that makes them different from electromagnetic radiation, where in a lot of cases. Things do happen to it on their way from where, where it was made to where it is here, uh, on our, where we detect it here on Earth. Uh, and that makes it more of a, kind of a bit more of a puzzle to, to see what's going on. But then, on the other hand, because it's completely independent of that, it means also we can make interesting tests of even things like general relativity. So we can ask whether the gravitational waves are really traveling at the speed of light. So we can, for example, in the case of the uh, one of the detections of LIGO, which was a neutron star uh, merger, so two neutron stars, uh, two very dense, compact stars, they merged, and we detected a few gamma rays coming off of that. Uh, we saw that they arrived uh, very close to the time at which we detected the gravitational waves coming off of that. And that was really exciting, because that means that both the gamma rays and the gravitational waves travel the same speed, but one of them is a, uh, obeys the wave equation of general relativity, it's a gravitational wave, the other one behaves, behaves the wave equation of electromagnetic radiation, is a gamma ray. So the fact that the speed of these two types of wave was the same is not trivial, and is a very valuable test of relativity and that you know, physics behaves itself as we expected it to. So we can do a lot of interesting things across uh, in the buzzwords, which you'll hear more and more probably from astrophysicists especially, will be multi-messenger. So we have, to, we have one messenger being gravitational waves, so we see uh, something happen in, in terms of gravitational waves from a detector or detectors in the future, and then we look up what's happened uh, or what may have been seen from the same direction at uh, neutrino detectors, gamma-ray detectors, uh, and maybe other telescopes, which can be pointed there and see some afterglow or even more pointing there in the first place and saw something, saw the event itself happen. Uh, so this neutron star merger was the first time we had that happen where we saw an go from the neutron stars merging. And we also saw uh, even right at the time of the event, things like gamma rays being produced as the neutron stars merged. Uh, but this the idea of using kind of both electromagnetic uh, radiation, so vis- you know visible light, radio waves, gamma rays, and also the gravitational wave sources as separate Independent ways of observing objects is, I think, something which will be very important in the future, uh, and, and will be very cool. And if we were able to see like a supernova or something, you probably get a flood of neutrinos as well, which is yet a different, different uh, mes- messenger, shall we say? Uh, so then you get multiple different ways of seeing what happens, and they all tell you a little bit different, slightly different things about what what was going on, uh, and they're independent of each other, which is even more useful. Wow,
0: that's yeah, really cool
1: and what you focus on is the early universe so mm-hmm. gravitational waves in the early universe oh what are you doing are you are you using some mission some some data from some from some satellite or from some telescopes or are you coding or making theories about it
2: what we do is we use or uh, well, we hope to use um Experiments like LISA, which is a future uh, gravitational wave detector in space, because everything's cooler in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other people have used things like LIGO, which is this Earth-based detector to look for cosmological sources of gravitational waves. Spoiler alert: they haven't seen anything. But you know, they they do look, and you have to you have to check that you don't find anything before you find something. They looked for a long time for, for for these gravitational waves from astrophysical sources like black holes and neutron stars, and he didn't see anything. So, but eventually they did find something. You just have to make things sensitive enough that you get down there. But so far they haven't seen anything there. LISA, which is the space-based project will launch in uh, 2034, probably. Maybe a little bit sooner, but hopefully by then. And then there's another type of uh, detector or an in inverted commas, detector, which people use. Uh, I'm not directly involved in that, um, but these are called pulsar ti- pulsar timing arrays, and they are very cool. I think they, they are very exciting, and they involve looking with a radio telescope at lots of pulsars called millisecond pulsars. They are a very stable type of pulsar, as uh, so these are star neutral neutron stars. These dense stars that I talked about earlier, and they're rotating. Uh, very rapidly, so they have a period of about a millisecond in their rotation, and every millisecond they're beaming a cone of radiation at the Earth, which we can see with radio telescopes. And they behave like really accurate atomic clocks. So there are atomic clocks which uh, science has scattered throughout space for us, and which we can go and read how they are doing. So It's almost like uh, basically like a GPS, because GPS relies on atomic clocks in the orbit around the Earth, so these are basically atomic clocks, or in a sense, or very accurate clocks, as we say. Uh, scattered throughout the, the nearby universe for us to look at. And what uh, the pulsar timing array projects do is they go and they scan, they build up a model of when these uh, pulsars are pulsing, shall we say, and they go back to them every so often, every week or every few weeks, and they see if they're still in line with when they thought they would be uh, emitting the pulses. And if they're not, then not something has happened, and I, the possible things that have happened are. Uh, that the gravitational wave has passed through between, uh, and you between the Earth and the pulsar, and therefore the distance has uh, it has changed, or the the position, the distance at the pulsar end has changed, the distance at the Earth end has changed, or the uh, pulsar has misbehaved, or we or there's some experimental error, so the pulsars may mis- may misbehave, or there may be a gravitational wave has passed through at the Earth or at the pulsar end, but the way you can be absolutely sure of all this is by not just checking what one pulsar has done, but by checking a lar- what a large number of pulsars have done. Uh, and that's why it's an array of pulsars, and you wouldn't just rely on seeing what one pulsar has done in order to say you've seen something. So they, they correlate the behaviour of lots of these pulsars, tens if not hundreds of them. Uh, and that would, because of the distances to these pulsars, because of the period of the pulsars and things like that, this is actually lets you study very long wavelength gravitational waves. Uh, and there. are doing this right now and the longer they observe them for and the more pulsars they know about because they're detecting new pulsars all the time and adding them to the catalogues that they check the more sensitive it can be. So that's if you're going to see some uh, cosmological gravitational waves from the early universe mm, I would put some money on it being from these pulsar timing rays first because they will have the next 16-17 years just to keep pushing down, making becoming more and more sensitive, while Lisa is still on the drawing board or being built in uh, before it gets launched uh, mm-hmm. into space. And, and but that, but Lisa, I should emphasise, is so LIGO because it's on the Earth is limited in how, in its sensitivity, it's limited by, um, you know, seismic noise from like the Earth vibrating or or trucks going past and things like that, as well as how big you can build something on the Earth. The arms are a few kilometers long, and uh, the, that's, that, that, that kind of limits you to, to what you can, you can do there. LISA will be a few million kilometers in length between satellites. Maybe we'll come back to that later, but uh, that's, that in itself may kind of gives you a slightly longer wavelength uh, of, kind of peak sensitivity. Whereas these pulsar timing rays are, are, are really long wavelengths because these pulsars are very, very far away. And so things, the, 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 the wavelengths involved are very long wavelengths, like nanohertz. Uh, frequencies, so uh, they they are they're they're very cool, and like I said, they can just keep doing stuff, and they're quietly, you know, going on on doing things. So I, I, I put some money on them being first to see. Something. Uh, <laughs> we will see,
1: and then we will remember about this episode, and we will see, check if you were right or not. And so, where do you expect these gravitational waves from the early universe to come from? Are they from the Big Bang?
0: And what processes are you looking at
2: then? So the the main thing that we look at is uh, the signal from our phase transition in the early universe. And in particular, because we are so we're so kind of interested in what Lisa will see, this the space-based project, we're looking at what happened at what's known as the electroweak phase transition, which is the time in the history of the universe when the Higgs boson turned on. So it, by which I mean that it started doing the thing it does of giving everything mass. So the Higgs boson we know we've seen it at the Higgs. Well, we've not directly seen it, but we have evidence for it based on uh, the the Large Hadron Collider experiments, where they smash protons together and see what comes out. Um, so we know the Higgs is a thing there, and uh, we know that it creates uh, the, that it creates, gives the mass to all the other particles that we that that, that you know, we have in everyday existence. But it doesn't. It's not done that since the beginning of beginning of time. not done that since the start of the universe so there was a time uh, about uh, 10 picoseconds or so after the Big Bang uh, that it started doing that and the way in which it started doing that is an open research question because we can't, we don't have any evidence for how it did that from experiments that we've currently seen Uh, and whether it did that in a, whether it turned on in a violent way or not uh, has some interesting consequences for for, for the physics of the present day universe.
1: I guess we can go for one last question before Cytagori, if Stephanie doesn't have another one. So, maybe it's pretty clear that you're kind of excited for Liza or Lisa. I don't know who you would pronounce it.
2: I'm not sure how you meant to pronounce it either.
1: <laughs> well, I'm calling Lisa or like Liza, like LIGO, but Lisa, I don't know. But anyway, you're pretty excited about it. So, wanna tell us something about this new space based gravitational
2: wave detector sure it's really exciting it's definitely going to happen now uh, it's being funded uh, it's a joint project by the European Space Agency and NASA the consortium is pretty big there's going to be hundreds of scientists working on it as well as engineers from all over the world uh, and it will be three satellites they will make a triangle uh, they will be launched uh, by probably an Iran 5 or something like that in 2034 and they will go to uh, an orbit where they trail the Earth at a Lagrange point. So one of these points where the gravitational potential of the Earth is balanced balances out of the, the Sun. They will go to a Lagrange point, and then at that point they will, there uh, these three satellites will be kept uh, in a triangular formation, and will form one of these uh, interferometer detectors that we talked about. So when a gravitational wave passes through LISA. The arms of this triangle will shrink or expand and then we'll, the, the, they will see this destructive or constructive interference so will, the lasers will, and will interfere with each other uh, in different ways and then you will see a signal and you can see the gravitational wave has passed through but because the arms are a million kilometers or 2.5 million kilometers it'll probably be in length the wavelengths you can see are much longer than you can see on earth where the arms are four kilometers in length so mm-hmm. It's many orders of magnitude longer wavelengths, which is good because it means it by then we'll probably have lots more detectors on the Earth. So what we can see on the Earth, we'll probably have sewn up as best we can. But to go to going into space, we can see stuff at longer wavelengths, and that means things like you know really big black holes and white dwarf binaries in the galaxy, near Milky Way galaxy. But it also means like uh, things which might have happened uh, in the early universe at this. Time when the Higgs boson was turning on, so about Mm -hmm. 10 seconds after, 10 picoseconds after the Big Bang.
1: Yeah, it sounds really exciting. And also, this is not the first time that I hear about a mission where a spacecraft is made of different pieces that have to be kept in formation. Like, for example, Lisa is working on Proba 3 Mm. that is supposed to be going and look at the solar solar corona. And it still puzzles me how can you keep something in a perfect formation, something that is so
0: far in space. Mm. But yeah. That's so cool that you're like sending an experiment out there. It's still, just to think about it, it's amazing. But I have a question. So I don't yet understand how you would look at this earliest part of the universe that you're trying to study through gravitational waves.
2: So the, if, if the process that turned on the Higgs was very violent... Then it would have probably uh, produced a phase transition. So, they, uh, where much like if you boil water or you chill water, if you chill water, you make ice cubes uh, and, the, and the ice kind of expands. And that's a phase transition because water is going from a liquid phase to a solid phase. Uh, or if you boil water, it's going from a liquid phase to a gaseous phase. The Higgs boson would have had to undergo a similar phase transition where it went from being not giving everything mass to giving everything mass. Right? Turns on in some sense. Now, how it does that uh, determines whether we can see something from it or not. In the standard model of particle physics, so if all that there is in the universe is what we have seen so far at particle accelerators, then in that case, we know that it turns on very slowly, kind of like me getting out of bed in the morning, and then it doesn't really make much of an impact in terms of gravitational wave signals because. It does anyway you know, it just does things very smoothly and gently, but if it were more, if it were a kind of first-order phase position, like you know ice cubes forming, so as the universe expands and cools down, you make these uh, area patches of where the Higgs boson is turned on, uh, and those patches expand like you know ice freezing on a lake or something. Then it does so in a way which is very violent because it's it's not it's doing so in, in, in a background of, of lots of other particles which are very hot. And uh, it, kicks, it excites those particles as these patches of the Higgs phase expand and then they collide. And they collide on very large scales in that time of the universe. And when you, when you look at those length scales and you uh, see how big those would be in present day, those uh, scales on which the universe is, is, is creating gravitational waves back then are exactly the scales that Lisa can see uh, when it looks at gravitational waves. So it turns out that Hidden beneath all this astrophysical stuff, like these white dwarf uh, binaries that I talked about, and the the supernovae and uh, supermassive black holes, and all these other things which could be seen by Lisa, hidden underneath that, when you take that all away, you might be able to see evidence of what happened around this time in the history of the universe. Now, because we can't see, we can't see what happens uh, there uh, yeah. with, for example, particle accelerators. We can uh, we can ask the question of what happened at that time in the the universe indirectly by looking to see if there was a if there's a gravitational wave signal of it. So if we don't see something that tells us you know what didn't happen, and that's e- equally useful if we can say oh well there's no signal of gravitational waves from this process. Well that's fine. We know that that's not what happened, or at least we can rule out some of the, the scenarios in which that happened. But we definitely know that we need to keep looking because. The, if all we had is what we can see at particle accelerators, then we have not, we can't explain, we can't explain dark matter, for example. I mean, you know, there's no, there's no, that piece of the puzzle is completely missing. We have no idea what dark matter is, and we don't know, for example, how our neutrinos become massive. So these are these tiny, tiny particles that are flying through all of us right now, and we don't know how they get their mass. For example, that's, you know, that's put, that's put in by hand to this model. You know, it's just saying, oh well, they should have this mass, and that's that uh and, and various other things like you know why there's matter and not why we're all made of matter and there's not equal amounts of matter and antimatter. Most processes that we know about in particle physics and, and nuclear physics uh overall, on average, make equal amounts of matter and antimatter. They don't, you know, they don't uh, they should not make more, more than one than the other. They don't violate that kind of symmetry, we say. Uh so the fact that there is only matter here today it means that something swept away all that antimatter or preferentially created matter, and again, that's not allowed for in the model of particle physics that matches what we've seen so far. So there's lots of these questions which, you know, I, I'm hoping by a back door we can kind of answer by seeing a gravitational wave signal or not seeing it, which would also be interesting. It's not, it's not. I, I won't be sad if I don't see anything. <laughs> uh, if I don't see anything at the end. Okay. From from terms of gravitational, cosmological sources of gravitational waves.
0: Okay. Because, yeah, I was wondering, if you get a signal, how do you know that, how do you relate it to what's producing it? But now you mentioned about how you can clear other signals that you're expecting. So sort of, I guess, like knowing in a radio which signal is, which, how do you call it? Station. Station goes to which frequency. Hmm. I guess that's that's how you...
2: Yeah, I, I guess exactly. Yes. I mean, I don't really know how they do it because it, it it sounds scary and complicated and clever, but I'm told that, yeah, you will be able to kind of tune out all this other stuff. There will be many, many things going on. If, we're, if, if people are right, there will be many things going on at uh, those frequency ranges in, w- in which the uh, LISA detector works. So there will be all these very big black holes. There will be white dwarfs in the Milky Way. There will be... Lots and lots of sources which you have to subtract. But when you subtract them, there might be something left.
1: Okay.
2: If there's if there's nothing left, that's also great. That that tells us well, you know, you were wrong. <laughs> but being told you're wrong is is part of science. That's yeah. Okay.
1: That's really cool. Okay. I guess it's time to play Saitagori for the first time after two months of summer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So David, we will have. Uh, we have five categories you will uh, generate a random letter but wait because first i have to introduce the categories and then we will have three rounds and with each letter we will have two minutes to fill all these categories and the categories for this week like this episode are number one way to look ways to look at the universe so for example now we know that there are gravitational waves or okay. interferometers yeah. or this or pulsars we learned a lot of stuff with you, so these kind of things. Number two, since LIGO won very recently a Nobel Prize in physics, ways to win an Nobel Prize in well, physics.
2: three white guys won the Nobel Prize in physics.
1: <laughs> 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 uh, that's true. Number three, uh, well, since you're from Scotland and you like whiskey, names of whiskeys. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be our fun category. I'm not going to be able to contribute anything. (laughs) (laughs) Number four, past, present, and future of the universe. You can be a bit bit creative with this one. Like the last
0: stages of the
1: universe. Yes. And number five, and last one, things that have a pull on you, like gravity stuff. (laughs) Good or chocolate for me. Or chocolate. Yeah. I think it
2: sounds good. I'm excited
1: <laughs> about this game. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, let's see. Sometimes it goes great, but sometimes we fail so badly. It but let's see how let's see how it goes this time. Uh, please generate a letter and then I we start the timer.
0: Oh my god. W. Yeah. W. Okay.
1: <laughs> Three, two, one. We start now. Ways to look at the universe. Waves. <laughs> Waves. Waiting. Waiting. Let's see what happens? That's cool. Yes.
2: Walk. You go for a walk and see some stuff outside.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Look up. Um, uh, 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 names of, names of whiskeys. Whiskeys. Is there a whiskey called
2: whiskey? Whis- well, I guess that's, yeah, that solves the problem, does not it? Just yeah.
1: <laughs> General whiskey.
2: <laughs> White Horse used to be a whiskey, I think. It was a blend of whiskey when I was young. Think. Not that I, was, I not was drinking whiskey when I was young.
1: <laughs> White horse. We will just trust you. Past, present, and future of the universe. We will... Were... Mm. 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 what does that pull on you, Stephanie? Waves. Waves. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: my gosh. Walking your dog. I th- well that literally yeah, that has a pull on me, like literally. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, Woofy. My dog's name is Wolfgang.
1: Okay, so we will we will dedicate this round to Stephanie and that's Woofy. Yeah. That has a pull on you. Um, okay, so we need past, present, and future of the universe and ways to win a Nobel Prize in Physics. Wasn't there a phase of the early universe that started with W?
2: Well, one thing that could have happened, I was talking about this, uh, what, how we uh, get more matter than antimatter one period is uh, when these uh, bubbles of this Higgs phase are passing through, you get a washout of the, the baron asymmetry, so okay. it could be washout. Washout of the baryon
1: asymmetry. Okay, let's think now about uh, the ways to win an Nobel prize in physics. Ended. Oh well. We did well. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> waste the the
2: to win the Prize: winning.
1: Yes, that's true. Okay, a bit out of time, but it's 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 fine. Okay, shall we go to round
0: two? Yes. Yes, um, but just thinking about whiskies. Thinking about whiskies. Okay. About whiskies, we have a category there because well, you are Scottish, but you also said you have a family member that. Has a distillery or distilled whiskeys?
2: My grandfather worked uh, in a distillery for, as far as I can tell, most of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the end, he was a manager of the biggest distillery in Europe. and oh, wow. He made, depending on what day of the week it was, I think they made gin, vodka, whiskey, you name it. Uh, there's two processes by which you make whiskey. One of them is uh, kind of a continuous batch process, as a continuous process. Uh, Uh, One of them is a continuous process where you uh, distill a lot of alcohol made from grain spirits continuously almost like in an industrial way and that makes a lot of alcohol and at the end of it depending on what you do with it it can be used to make vodka or uh, gin or whiskey Uh, and that's basic stuff so if you put it into a barrel and mature it for a couple of years it becomes whiskey uh, and then you can blend it with more expensive whiskies, which are made by the other processes, which are more kind of small batch type processes to make things like uh, Famous Grouse or Johnny Walker or these these blends. Uh, so he made he ran one of these very big distilleries which makes these, these this this kind of industrial whiskey, which you never see on its own. This so called green whiskey It's either blended with malts to make it more flavoursome, uh, or it ends up ends up as vodka origin and things like that. So he, he ran that distillery uh, at some point towards the end of his career, I think. Um, as far as I can tell, it, 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 he liked it. And then when he retired, I think his pension was partially bottles of whiskey. <laughs> uh, so when, yeah so I never saw him without a bottle of whiskey when I was a, when I was a kid. yeah okay.
1: And you ended up doing physics of the early universe You could have got a distillery for him.
2: <laughs> so sadly, after he after he retired, the company shut down that distillery. Oh, no, okay. okay. oh, okay, okay. no not there.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Round two, and let's hope for a better letter. See, okay. That 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 sounds more promising. Timer in 3, two, 1, Now. Ways to look at the universe.
2: Computer simulations. It's my day job.
1: That's true. Okay. Ever seen uh, ways to win a Nobel Prize? Cheating. Cheating. <laughs> yes. Oh, how
0: terrible! Oh, yes.
2: Okay. We have to emphasize, of course, at this point that uh, I don't imply in any way that anyone has ever cheated that it's winning a Nobel Prize. <laughs> I don't want to imply that at all. Is it I'm not suggesting that I would ever cheat myself either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there. <laughs> you, yeah. Yeah. That, that.
1: That. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. So, okay. Um, um, names of whiskeys right? whiskey That's for you, David. I
2: have no idea. Oh goodness. Oh, oh past,
1: present, and future of the universe is the cold death. You know the one where uh, I don't know if it's really the name, but like uh that theory according to which the universe will keep exp- expanding and then it will just freeze down.
2: Heat death. And
1: uh, If that cold death is death. Oh well, bad name. <laughs> Big crunch. Mm, yeah. Crunch. Big crunch. Crunch, <laughs> comma,
0: big. <laughs> so is that when I will, will just go p- yeah,
2: away? Think, that's, yeah. uh, if the universe were, I don't think it's going to do that because we think, I think we think it's uh, too flat. But if it weren't flat, it would eventually close in on itself. Okay. And that would be what you call it. Big
1: crunch. In the a Pull on New, oh, that's again for Stephanie. Chocolate. Chocolate, <laughs> Chocolate and cake. Oh, terrible. Choco. So we are only left with the names of whiskies. Kulila. Cool, I don't know to write that. The honor is yours.
2: Curleiva.
1: Cool. I see. Okay.
2: Best and narrow of Ila. Cool is a narrow in in, in Gaelic.
0: Oh, cool. and we're done. Confusion. I thought it was Gaelic. I it's Gaelic. Is that
2: how you pronounce it then? Uh, We call it Gaelic. The Irish call theirs Gaelic. Ah,
0: okay. And there's
2: some mutual intelligibility.
0: Okay,
2: (laughs) okay. Like, I once knew somebody from Donegal, County Donegal, and I could kind of understand what they were saying, but I also then saw somebody from County Kerry, which is a bit further down the west coast of Ireland, and I could not understand anything they said. Okay. So it's like a continuum.
1: Ah, okay, cool. Let's go for number three. Yes.
2: Do I do it again? Yes. Yes. Last. For the last time. Okay.
1: Now, okay. We'll w, w again so again, but no, we will do it. This is the first time that we get the same letter twice in the same. No.
2: It's weird, and I'm weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> B. Okay. Three, two, one, let's go. Big bang. Past, present, and future of the big universe. Bang. Okay. But now we can also write look bang, comma big. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: Baryogenesis.
1: Oh, yes, What's yes. That? First, we can talk about it after, after, first we, we, we okay. try to finish. Ways to
0: look at the universe. Binoculars. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, names of whiskies, Barrels of whiskies. Bumore. I don't know what time. I will write that again. <laughs> This was a great category to add. You have some expert
0: things that have a pull on me, bright minds. (laughs) Uh,
1: um, Today's episode is a dating. It's a dating. for Stephanie. It's a dating episode for Stephanie.
0: We have to like my dog, chocolate, and be smart. And we have to be smart. We will put Stephanie's number in the description box. (laughs)
1: What was the thing? Big minds. I don't know. Big brains. Bra- <laughs> brains. <laughs> um, uh, bra- bright, brains. Bright minds. Bright minds. <laughs> Big brains. <laughs> um, what? Ways to win a Nobel Prize in physics and
0: then we're done? Bra- bra- bo- bragging about your findings. So bragging. Everybody yes. knows about it and then you win a prize. Yes, Nobel and Prize. And you're the, the best at bragging.
1: Yes.
2: Being first.
0: First.
1: that's true that's better being first if you find or or being just the first one who's very good at bragging about yeah, it there, there are a lot of discoveries that are made by people like more or less at the same time like independently mm-hmm. but then the one mm-hmm. who brags the better about it the best about it then they are the ones who win
2: good or they like can, they get the credit they can only give it to three people and if there's more than three people who have a good claim to discovery, it's pretty and hard done. to pretty hard to say who who deserves it
1: yes a big problem of the nobel prize nowadays is that uh, the collective effort is not rewarded Mm. when science nowadays is more like for example LIGO is a huge team or anyway even if LHC or some other experiment wins then that's a hundreds of scientists together but then you have to pick one or from one to three for the prize itself so that's
0: LHG, you mean the Large Hadron Yes, at uh, sorry, Yes. <laughs> acronyms are always <laughs> yeah, throwing in acronyms.
1: Uh, but yeah, anyway, baryogenesis. You can tell tell us about oh, it
2: yes. now. So I guess I alluded to it a bit earlier, and it keeps coming up. But it's what, what I mean by baryogenesis is the fact that we have Bar- matter and yes. antimatter yeah. in, the, in the universe, uh, and so one one convenient, easy way to solve this uh, would be if. When the Higgs was doing its turning on act, it did so in this violent way, which also happens to involve uh, there being more matter than antimatter preferentially retained as the, the Higgs field, the, the, this phase of the Higgs boson being turned on, expanded throughout the universe. And if that were the case after this washout process, then you would end up with more matter than antimatter. There's not guaranteed that it's, that's the way it happened. I mentioned earlier this other mystery of the universe. The mystery of the universe? The other mystery of the universe I mentioned was, this, uh, was the fact that neutrinos have mass. And other people, you know, our competition, shall we say, it's not really like that, but the competition, they, or the other people say that, well, maybe the way in which the neutrinos got their mass has something to do with it. Basically, people when they see some mysteries, they try and bundle them together into as few mysteries as possible, and try to come up with one way of solving everything. Uh, and some of the ways of solving it, some of, the, some of the ways of bundling the mysteries together work, and some of them don't. Uh, and I guess over time we'll try and work out which ones which ones do work and which ones don't work. But I think it's natural that you try and come up with a solution which answers as many questions as possible. I mean, yeah, like it.
1: the th- the famous theory of everything. Mm. Mm, yeah. yeah. Will be funny. We don't know, but we have good hope in Lisa.
2: I I am excited about Lisa. I think we will,
1: will interview you again in 20 years.
0: twenty years.
1: we can book already. Oh no! In two thousand thirty-eight, we will we will maybe we will interview you at in Stockholm where you will be receiving the Nobel Prize.
2: I definitely won't receive the Nobel Prize. <laughs> I, I I I can count on that not being the case, but, uh, <laughs> unless he changes the rules. Oh, yeah, in which case that's I'll be one of the 5, 500 people. There. Yeah, you
1: a very a very big shared Nobel Prize, mm-hmm. yes. Um, uh, uh, one last question, which is something that Stephanie has started to ask uh, lately to our guests. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the day's anecdote, but describe your typical day at work.
2: Mm. Okay, uh, I get here in the morning and how much detail do I give? <laughs>
1: Oh, just 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 in general general guidelines. Okay. I was going
2: to like go to the level of what kind of croissant I buy from the store Ah no
1: no, but I mean uh, it's a chocolate a one by the way. Okay okay, okay. Yeah. but uh, almost every, or probably everyone is like, I arrive to office, I have a big cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah.
2: I yeah, good point. I. I am going to be heterodox here and say that I wait a couple of hours before I get the second coffee because I've had coffee before I leave home.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Uh,
2: and normally, and then usually that keeps me going at least until I need the sugar when I get in, but I don't need the coffee quite yet. Mm.
1: Well,
0: um, you do computer simulations. So, what kind of what kind of data are you looking at? Uh, or what kind of simulations are you doing?
2: No, so normally, yeah, normally I'm I'm doing these big simulations, uh, with. Collaborators, my colleagues, uh, where we are, you know, we run these simulations on a big supercomputer and we look at the results. Uh, but increasingly these days, uh, I, I this sounds really terrible, but I have other people to do that for me. That sounds really awful. But as as we were saying before we started I, I mean, I'm starting to move beyond the very start of my career. And so one of the things I'm learning a lot about how to do is how to you know, work with other people and, in some sense, you know, start to kind of manage other people and and supervise them a bit so that part of that involves uh, working with other people and having them work out what to do which might mean that things take a bit longer than if I were to do them myself but it's a lot more rewarding, I really enjoy that mm-hmm. so a lot of my time these days is not spent writing code or you know running simulations directly but instead talking to other people about how they should write the code or run the simulations and yeah it feels a bit sad sometimes because I wish I were doing it myself um, but also it's a lot of fun you know, it's a lot of, I like being part of a team that's doing mm-hmm. fun things. I don't wanna necessarily lead the team, but being part of a bigger team that does lots of fun things. I think you are you know, over in space physics, Erica, you have a really fun team who seems to have a lot of Yeah, my team is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love my team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and in some sense we you know, we should have something similar over here and that's something which I you know, I, I think is very important in, in, in physics is to have fun while you do it and work with cool people rather than sitting in your office all the time. Yeah, yeah. Getting stuck on your own. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: doing work with, with people that you like and then you can even consider friends is like a very big... Like, for me, it helps a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm happy to go to work because, yeah. especially my office mates, I love them. <laughs> yeah. They're the best. Okay. Thank you very much, David, for teaching us something more about gravitational waves and... and LIGO, in small part, but especially Lisa slash Lisa, and and let's hope that everything will go very smoothly with it, and that the launch will be in two thousand thirty four at the latest, and then we will very be very excited to see what uh, what the new discoveries will be. And now the word to Stephanie for today's science anecdote. What are you talking about?
0: So I will present. A little story about Newton and the apple. So we've heard that gravity that he that he was thinking about gravity when an apple fell on his head while sitting underneath an apple tree. So there is a William Stuckley. Stuckley. Now I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. We're very
1: bad with pronouncing
0: stuff today. It's fine. But um, <laughs> anyway, so um, he was one of the um, authors of Newton's biography, and he was actually talking to Newton. So they were discussing how he came up with the idea of gravity and now the Royal Society, so Britain's Royal Society, has released um, online versions of scanned documents which is really beautiful and I encourage all of you to check it out. Um, we can link, we can yes. link it in, the, in, the, in the
1: description box together with Stephanie's
0: number <laughs> <laughs> but the website actually from the Royal Society it's called Turning the Pages and you can access Really old, like 17th, 18th century documents. Um, And they've scanned them, and you see this beautiful handwriting, and you can see um, illustrations of fossils, instruments. So, all these explorers looking at things, and you can flip through them. So, you can, yeah, flip through them. So, one of them is the biography, and he writes the account of how Newton talked about the apple. So, did it fall on his head or not? He writes, "Um, after dinner, The weather being warm, we went into the garden and drank tea under the shade of some apple trees. So this is William Stockley with Newton. Um, And he said, he told me he was just in the same situation as when formerly the notion of gravitation came into his mind. It was occasioned by the fall of an apple as he sat in in contemplative mood. Why should that apple always descend perpendicularly to the ground, thought he to himself. So indeed he did so the tell. story is real so there was an apple involved but it didn't hit him it just fell
1: oh, probably
0: okay. but Pro- there was an apple okay. and then he was thinking is it falling just perpendicularly or is it because it's following the center of the earth and mm-hmm. then there and then he went on about how the earth and the apple are both pulling on each other and so on. Mm.
1: so the story is partially
0: real yes it's oh. true according yeah. to this William. Stuckly. Stuckly.
2: <laughs> Does he have anything to say on where the apple tree was?
0: Um, in his, oh right yes in his hometown in uh, because there was there was the plague so Newton was studying in Cambridge but because of the plague it kind of closed down <laughs> so he had to go home for a while and whilst home in the underneath the shade of an apple tree it happened. Hmm. Yeah. interesting yes so now you can go to this website which we link from Britain's Royal Society and there you can find and flip through a lot of old online books. yes
1: great no this sounds super interesting it is and I the know.
0: website is really cool like you can find all sorts of it's not just physics it's you can find about instruments in Japan and illustrations and it's very pretty
2: I've been having apple nightmare recently My colleague over there he has two apple trees in his garden and because of the summer being very warm. He has had a lot of apples falling already. And so I, he gave me about five kilograms of apples <laughs> last week. And I spent... I, one, one day I made a dessert uh, and brought it in to the office mm-hmm. to, to share with people. Next day I made one for myself. Uh, and But I basically spent either every day, because these were small, uh, not... Very big apples, peeling and cleaning them up. <laughs> and after that, I had apple nightmares for two three days. You should have just made or a bunch of apple you?
1: pies, and then you could have just get, got rid of all the apples in one day. Apple pies.
0: Or apple um, jam. I guess you can just boil them and
2: mm-hmm. then make. I think he's making uh, cider with them there. So oh, nice. <laughs> okay, invite us when, <laughs> when,
0: when, when, when we unbottle This is what scientists do when, in their spare time.
1: When we un- <laughs> unbottle them. Thank you very much, David. Uh, that was a very fun episode Thanks to to me. to record. Thank you, Stephanie. And Thank you, Erica. See you next time. And yeah, we we hope that everyone has had a good summer as we did. And see you in two weeks. Bye. 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 Bye.